Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. We're looking tonight uh, at a subject I've called the final verdict, and uh, so uh, we'll get into this and hopefully be able to explain a few things. Um, Revelation is a heavy book, hasn't it been? And, uh, and so hopefully you have uh, had some clarity uh, spoken on some issues. And uh, if you have any questions, I don't have all the answers. I know that. And I think you know that. <laughs> but uh, if you have questions, don't hesitate, amen, to, uh, to give me an email or jot them down or come and ask me. And if they're, uh, they're applicable, I can even answer them here before we close this uh, this series out in the next two weeks, okay? So uh, we want we want to be sure that uh, we've spent enough time, but I don't know if I've covered everything with enough clarity. And so, if you have a question or something's nagging uh, in your mind, don't hesitate. We'll we'll look into it together. Praise the Lord. Revelation chapter 20, and let's, uh, let's read verses 11 through 15. You can stand for the reading of the word. Scripture says, And I saw a great white throne. This is John speaking. He says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead, which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead, which were in them. Notice how, how exhaustive this scene is. It's covering uh, land and sea and even under the earth. Did you get that? And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Heavenly Father, thank you for the presence of Christ with us as we come to his word. I ask his grace, his knowledge, his uh, inspiration tonight as we uh, tackle, Lord, this, uh, this once again, another heavy topic. Bless us as we come to your word, and may we leave, Lord, having been transformed by your word, to live closely to you, we pray, in these times. In Jesus' name, all God's children say amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. Before we wrap up chapter 20, we are going to circle back one final time to this topic of adjudication, 
and judgment. It's certainly not a popular feel-good theme, okay? But it's certainly one that's uh, repetitive. It's, it's frequently found in Scripture. Passages on uh, judgment and justice, uh, even just from the first book of the New Testament, if you was to look at Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 13, uh, and chapter 16, all of those chapters deal with judgment. It really goes to prove, and I think this is on your study guide, that of the 1,850-ish verses in the New Testament that record Christ's words, 13% of them deal with the subject of eternal judgment and hell. Okay, so if we tried to read... way later than you care to be uh, on a Wednesday evening. We would probably be here to the early morning hours. So we're not going to do that. Suffice it to say, uh, one insight that wise King Solomon had, even in the Old Testament, is recorded in his book, the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you look at around chapter 12 and verse 14, he said, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Remember that? Now, many in our present culture uh, kind of ignore that reality, don't they? Uh, that's not the only thing they ignore, though. Uh, they ignore lots of things, like all the requirements of, of, of Christ, and they ignore the atonement of Christ, and they ignore the God the call of the gospel. And, but in Hebrews 10, 26, uh, and then another passage there in Hebrews over in chapter 12, you find that God will, he promises that there's this, this day of reckoning coming, this judgment day coming for all those who offend God, okay? All those who dishonor Christ, all those who ignore the gospel. And it's, it's that day, uh, that Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 12 talks about that we see described, I believe, here in this text this evening. Because so far in our study, we have seen, we've come through seven years of tribulation, okay, which contained various judgments uh, on earth. Um, we've seen the return of Christ and the annihilation of the wicked. Uh, we've seen the thousand-year reign of Christ uh, and the final rebellion that followed. We, we uh, took a look at that last Wednesday night, and I tried to hurry. I know I was long, but you see, we covered a thousand years in 45 minutes. <laughs> Amen. Never mind. So now all that's left is this final judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die. And what comes next? And after that, the judgment. So I want us to observe four points about this day uh, that we have described for us here in the text. Are you ready? Number one, we observe a righteous throne. See the judge who sits upon the throne. Now, John uses three words to describe the throne. Great, white, throne. 
Notice on your study guide, great speaks of it. And from this throne will come the most absolute, perfect, binding, permanent judgments ever. There will not be any opportunity like folks nowadays have an opportunity to appeal a sentence, right? There's not going to be an opportunity to appeal these verdicts because they are true beyond any reasonable doubt. And they are final. Everybody say final. Okay. There is no ability to escape this courtroom because of the power and the reach of this throne. There is no hint of corruption or injustice and no chance of, hey, there's not going to be any chance of bribing this judge. This is the most perfect judicial system the world will ever see. The next thing we see is not only this great white throne, but we see the one who actually sits on the throne and does the judging. Now, in this passage, the judge is not directly identified, I think, but it's, to me, it's kind of, you know, I want to know who, it, who he is, and I believe it's Christ. That's, that's who I believe it is, Christ himself. I used to think it was God the Father seated upon the throne. Christ would be sitting beside him. But <clears throat> when you take into account various scriptures, I think we could be, it would be accurate to say, all judgment has been delegated to the Son. And I can provide a few proof texts if you'd like. Jot these down. John 5.22. Gospel of John 5.22. It says, for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now that's pretty clear. Later in verse 27 of the same chapter, John 5, it says, the Father hath given the Son authority to execute judgment. The Apostle Peter, later in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 42, in his conversation with Cornelius, he, he refers to and he says, Christ has uh, commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he, a.k.a. Christ. Notice, and I quote, which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. Quick means living, of the living and the dead. Again, another proof text would be Acts 17.31. The apostle Paul addresses the men of Athens, if you recall that uh, incident, and he says, I quote, because he hath appointed a day in, in the which we will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Who's that? That's got to be Christ. So the Apostle Paul told young Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So Christ judges the living, which is here is the redeemed. Okay, We have been made alive. Okay, 
So Christ judges the living, a.k.a. the redeemed, and the dead, a.k.a. the unredeemed. Okay? And while he is not directly identified here, his, his character certainly is. So, so we, we see that. Next we learn that before Christ, uh, the righteous judge, it says heaven and earth does something. What's it do? It flees away. And it says no place is found for them. Now, in our text, we've just come out, as far as the timeline, we've come out of the millennial reign, okay, which was, was beyond a doubt a wonderful place in history and wonderful time, which is in the future. Okay, but it's, although it was great, according to what we saw last week, it's still not perfect because nothing on this earth is perfect, okay? So it was, it was great, but it's not a perfect place for it. It is true that people, you know, during the millennial reign, we talked they live much, much longer. But death was not totally absent. There still will be death in the millennial reign. Isaiah 65, 20 tells us that. Quote, there shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. So there is the fulfillment of your days in the millennial reign. He says, for the child shall die a hundred years old. So basically he's saying, you're going to be looked on as, as, as really young if you die in the millennial reign at a hundred years old. That's still young. Okay, and next on Isaiah says, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So it's true that the enemy was bound in the millennial reign, but it's not as though people did not have the capacity to sin and need forgiveness because remember last week we talked about their na the nature of their heart. Okay, and you can read the end of Ezekiel and see even there that a and in the millennial reign, a continual sin offering is being offered, okay? So, so it is true that Christ reigns supreme, but we learned last week that even there, a rebellion will arise, right? So it's, it's a good place, but not a perfect place. And so even this earth and heavens are not able to stand before this great white throne, this speaks to the absolute perfection and holiness of Christ the judge. See, creation fell. It was tainted. It became fractured. Okay, just as Christ spoke it into existence uh, on this day, it is going to be annihilated. No place was found for them. Heaven and earth will be gone forever because they could not measure up to the righteous standard of the holy judge. That tells us that it's, it's basically perfection or bust here on this day. After a thousand years of renovations and after renewing all that sin has destroyed, God plans to ditch this current heaven and earth and start with a brand new one. I don't pretend to know all the reasons why. But perhaps, I was thinking this afternoon, he wants us to know 
that this world, folks, this world and all that's in it has simply been a stage. It's simply a stage. The stuff we value are nothing but props and symbols. What truly matters are the things that's going to last forever. Right? 2 Peter 3.10 prophesies of that day. It says, the heavens shall pass away. The elements, he says, shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. That's what uh, 2 Peter 3.10 says. Now, I'm no scientist, but we do know the fact that physics teach that like charges repel. Yet at the center, they tell us, of every atom is a cluster of bonded protons. Scientists explain the mystery with terms like atomic glue. They talk of the God particle. Hmm? Everybody, anybody ever heard that? Sure you have. But their, ex, their explanations are vague at best. The Bible, on the other hand, is quite clear. Colossians 1.17 tells us Christ, in Christ, quote, all things exist or consist, I believe is the word it uses. Meaning that Christ is the one who holds this universe together, right? And one day, this day, he's just going to let it go. And the elements, Peter said, will melt with fervent heat. So when they say we're headed for a meltdown, we really are, right? We're headed for a meltdown, but it ain't going to happen until Christ lets it happen, right? In that day, all that's going to be left will be man and his maker. All right? So, talked about point number one, the righteous throne and judge. Second, notice on your study guide, we observe the resurrected defendants. And the answer is simple. It says the dead. But it's meaning the spiritually dead. Well, and, and I'm, I'm going to go on, there's going to be plenty of the physically dead too. This is important because as we, re, as we read a moment ago, Christ is the judge, Scripture says, of the living and the dead. You say, if this is the judgment of the dead... Well, when is the judgment of the living? Well, the judgment of the living is the judgment that was described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Uh, he says that uh, all believers will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, also known in Greek as the bima, the bima judgment. 
And <clears throat> it is there that all believers will be rewarded or disciplined for the manner in which they live their Christian life. Um, if you recall, Paul talked about the wood, the hay, and the stubble, uh, meaning that if we did works for Christ but with wrong motives, then it's going to be burnt up. Remember that? Uh, but, but the believer's judgment, the bima, is not a judgment of condemnation for eternal hell. What Paul say, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So true believers are not going to be at the great white throne judgment. Did you get that? Because that's a question everybody asks, sometime or another. There's multiple judgments. You know what, I might as well tell you four of them. Can I do that real quick? Okay, there's four in Scripture that I can show you. Number one is our judgment at the cross. The cross was a judgment day. On Mount Calvary, in the person of Jesus, God judged the sin of the world. The punishment due my sin, in fact, all sin, was taken out on Christ. He bore our judgment so God could forgive us. When you trust in Him, your sin is judged forever. Okay? So the first judgment... I want you to see in Scripture, is the cross. The second is this judgment seat of Christ that I mentioned in 1 Corinthians. Paul mentions it. And like I said, it is for believers only. At issue is not our sin, but our service. Why? Because our sin was judged at the cross. Okay? So here is where the believer's work, the bema, is where the believer's work is judged to see what reward we'll receive. Our motivations are going to be tested. Good deeds done out of love for God will be valued as gold and silver, but service that's done out of pride or selfishness is going to be burnt up like wood, hay, or stubble. Third, okay, so that's the second. Third judgment is the judgment of the nations. This occurs, we already looked at it briefly here in the book of Revelation, it occurs at Christ's second coming. Remember when he comes back, when all of them's assembled at the valley of Jehoshaphat, or Megiddo, getting ready for the battle of Armageddon. Okay, Joel 3, Matthew 25 tells us how Christ will separate the sheep from the goats. That's the sheep nations from the goat nations. How the nations treated God's people, Israel, is the criteria for that third judgment. The fourth judgment is this one here tonight. The great white throne judgment. This is not for believers. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that in God's sight, our righteousness is the filthy rags. How many know if judged according to my efforts, I'm in big trouble? Right? But I'm not resting in my works. 
I'm resting in Christ's works. His work on the cross. And how many know God doesn't grade on the curve? He grades on the cross. That's what happened. And so, <coughs> so you're saying, well, what about, let's go back to where I said we have the judgment of the dead. So when's the judgment of the living? When's that beam of seat judgment? Well, I don't know that for sure because Scripture doesn't say for sure. Scholars are not sure because, like I said, it's not precisely stated. So we have five options of when the Bema judgment is going to be. The option number one is upon our death. Maybe as soon as the believer dies, he is judged. Or it could be after the rapture, scholars say. Or it could be, thirdly, after the second coming. Or it could be during the millennial kingdom. And then fifthly, and I think least likely, is they say it might be before the great white throne judgment. But, but what we read of here tonight is not the believer's judgment. Notice on your study guide, this is the judgment of the spiritually dead. And it includes the physically dead. They either died before the tribulation, they died at the second coming of Christ, they, uh, they were born in the millennium, were part of the rebellion, and died as a result of the fire that we talked about coming and consuming them last week. Either way, they are the dead, and this is the place of their final judgment. Now, I want you to look at this. If you brought your imagination tonight, recall the long list of people who judged Christ while he was on earth. Caiaphas, the high priest, Herod, the king, the Jewish Sanhedrin, Pilate, the Roman governor, the mob who screamed, crucify him, crucify him. Imagine each of them appearing at this throne to now be judged by Christ. The roles are now reversed. And I believe there will be a lot of nervous squirming going on. Because the reason folks appear at this throne of judgment is because they've rejected Christ. They've judged Christ as unfit to follow. And now it's his turn to judge them. And John says that when we get to this point, it doesn't matter who you are. He said, I saw the dead both small and great standing before the throne. So in attendance, the great white throne is going to be the rich, the poor, the famous, the forgotten. The important, the moral, and even the immoral. Because it doesn't matter how moral you've been if you haven't accepted Christ. Right? The noble, the common. No one is above or beyond the judgment at the great white throne. No one is forgotten. You know, <clears throat> we live in a day where people 
may be able to escape judgment if they have enough political clout. Hmm? They have enough financial means, but not on this day. In fact, the somebodies and the nobodies alike will be standing here. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Notice it goes on to say even where you are. It says the sea gave up her dead. The Bible days, <coughs> the seas were were an enormous mystery. Things that fell into the sea never came back. Even believers used it as an analogy for God's forgiveness. Remember that? Micah, in the Old Testament, Micah 7, 19, speaks of God having compassion on us and casting all of our sins in the depths of the sea. Right? That analogy was used because people believed that if it was cast into the sea, it could never be recovered. That is why the sea is distinctively mentioned here, I believe, in this text. Sinners will be gathered from everywhere, even from the depths of the sea. Hmm? It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Every sinner will be present at the great white throne judgment scene. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. You remember David? He said, where shall I flee from your presence? He said, even if I make my bed where? In hell, you're there. You can't get away. The point is there's no escaping it. Okay, point number three. Point number three. Got to hurry. We observe the recorded evidence. These are God's books of evidence. Notice that on your study guide. It seems that nothing that a lost person ever says, does, thinks, is forgotten. You know, it's all recorded in God's great book of remembrance. These books contain every deed ever done. And at this court scene, everything is going to be exposed and laid out. Nothing will remain hidden. Right? Every person who rejected the work of Christ on the cross is judged by uh, the deeds they did, the merit they manufactured. Certainly when a person comes to Christ, though, and how many has come to Christ? I hope you have. When a person comes to Christ and their sins are washed away, they are justified, and all their words, deeds, and thoughts are forgiven. They are forgotten because condemnation is gone. But for those outside of Christ, nothing is forgotten. It's all recorded. It's all remembered. And on this day, it's going to be recalled and it will come to light. For example, these folks in this text will be judged. And really, a lot of these points that he's going to judge sinners by is really has a connection with even the believer's judgment. 
Because, for example, these folks in, at the great white throne judgment will be judged by how much they know. This was the idea behind Paul's statement when he wrote in Romans 2.1 when he said, Thou art inexcusable, O man. His point was that people clearly know better than to do certain things, and we know they know better because they actually condemned others when they did them. But then they did them themselves. Did you follow that? Therefore, at the judgment, God will use their own knowledge as evidence against them. Consider what Christ said to the cities, for example, like Capernaum, where Christ works some of his greatest miracles. He shines some of the greatest gospel light there in Matthew eleven twenty one through 24. He said it's going to be worse for Capernaum than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah when they were judged. We ask, how could judgment be more tolerable for Sodom well, it's because they didn't know as much as Capernaum did. Hello? Sodom didn't have the Messiah walking its streets, teaching. So, men will be judged by what they know. This means judgment is more severe depending on how much you know, Luke uh, 12, 47 says that the servant, you remember in that little story, who knew his Lord's will but didn't do it, Christ said, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not his master's will shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him much will be required. And those who know better receive a harsher punishment. But don't assume that it's just those who have adequate understanding of the gospel who are to be judged because how many know that's what some people think? They think if people never had the opportunity to hear the name of Christ and hear a gospel presentation, somehow they're going to be exempt from this judgment. Yes, they may not have ever heard the name of Christ, but how many know they are not without knowledge. In fact, Scripture says that even the limited knowledge they do have is more than enough to condemn them. What knowledge do they have, you ask? Paul said in Romans 1.19, that which may be known of God is manifest, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation. Everybody say creation. So one of the lights, one of the gospel lights to let's say the heathen in the jungles of Africa is creation. It says, Paul says, from the creation of the world, it is clearly seen, be under, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. You cannot clearly look at creation and blow off the fact that there was not a creator. You may lie to yourself. Hello. But if you really are honest. Hello. I can't take this watch off in 
take it apart into a thousand pieces and then put it in my pocket and jiggle it around and think it's all going to come back together. It ain't going to happen. Right? No. Where there's a watch, there's a watchmaker. And so that's what Paul says. It says in the last verse, Romans 1, 19 and 20, it says, so that they are without excuse. If all a person ever saw was a sunrise, if all they ever saw was a sunset or a sandstorm, that is enough, Paul says, to tell them there is a creator God. And the psalmist said in Psalm 19, 103, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth his knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. That means where the English language hasn't come to preach the gospel, there's still the creation voice and language that's preached the gospel to the heathen. It's really in Scripture what we call natural revelation. And it is enough revelation to condemn a man. Does that make sense? And that is still not all the knowledge man has. Granted, only some have knowledge of the gospel by which that just makes them doubly accountable. Okay? Others have knowledge of creation. Something else that men have knowledge of. Not only creation... But your conscience. You see the conscience? You know what the conscience is? It is the moral code of God that is written on the human heart. It is what instinctively tells a man that stealing is wrong. It instinctively tells a person that murder is wrong. Now certainly the conscience is fallen. It The scripture says it can be seared or corrupted, but it doesn't change the fact that it is still a form of knowledge. And Romans 2, 12 through 16 shows us that men will be judged by what they know. Even if all they know is the testimony of creation or the witness of their conscience. I tell you another thing we will be judged by. It's not just what we know, but what we did with what we knew. That means our actions. Christ said in Matthew 16, 27, he says, The Son of Man shall come in the glory of the Father and his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. See, and I know our culture loves to throw this statement out that says, Don't judge me. As if to say, I'm free to do whatever I want. Another would say, only God can judge me. And honestly, that should terrify them. Because he will. He has never forgotten a single thing that the unredeemed ever did. They are all still offenses committed against him. And that includes the things we know about, even all the things we thought nobody knew, they thought nobody knew about. Listen, if sinful actions aren't forgiven through the atonement of Christ, they are brought forth at this great white throne judgment. So we'll be judged by what we knew. We'll be judged by 
our actions. How about this one? We're even going to be judged by the things we say. Hmm? Wow. Matthew 12, 36, every idle word that man shall speak, it says they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Ooh, somebody say that's a painful one. Right there, isn't it? Every word ever spoken is recorded and remembered. How about the thoughts, attitudes, and intentions? Even those that never got carried out. Hebrews 4.12 informs us that even the thoughts and the intentions of the heart is going to be judged. This was the very idea behind Christ's famous, you remember his sermon that you have heard it said, but I say? You remember that sermon? Christ indicated in that sermon that it just wasn't murder that condemns a man. He said, but I say it's hatred. If you hate your... You see, Christ revealed that it isn't just adultery that condemns a man. It's lust. So God judges even attitudes. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So there will be no lack of evidence at the great white throne judgment. It's all going to be in the books. Men can't plead ignorance, but God knows what they know. Men can't plead innocence because God knows what they did. And all the evidence God will ever need is in the books. It's on the books. And John also notices that there's another book here, though. Not only the book of remembrance, but this says, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. That's the book you want to be found in. Amen. Verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was cast in the lake of fire. Chapter 21 calls this the Lamb's book of life. <clears throat> we already saw it once back in chapter 13 of Revelation, verses 7 and 8. So this book is not the book of the innocent. It's the book of the redeemed. This book is the book of those whose sins have been covered. Oh, hallelujah. It's a book of those whose sins have been atoned for by Christ. And, and we've accepted his atonement. And God will know what is in that book as well. Number four. Let's move on to our final point here. We observe the reasonable... is real and God really does send people to hell the sentence of judgment is total it's permanent and horrific in a place called John said I saw it it was a lake of <clears throat> Christ said it was created for the devil and his angels and it's also the eternal dwelling place for all the unredeemed of all the ages men will be confined there in the end Remember, we, we saw the false prophet and the Antichrist is already cast there. Last week, we saw uh, the angel lay hold of the dragon, Satan, and cast him there. And now, because mankind continued to offend the Creator, would not respond 
who is multiple, and we saw it, multiple. You need to underline multiple. Multiple chances that God gives man, even through the tribulation, still didn't respond. And so God can't let sin in heaven. How many know that? God does not tolerate insubordination. And so another important thing we learn is while all men deserve it, all men don't receive it. What I'm saying is while all men may deserve judgment, all men won't receive it. Because why? Because our name was written in that other book, the book of life. Like I said, that's not the book of the innocent because, hey, none of us is innocent. But it is the book of the forgiven. Praise God. And the point is simple. The deciding factor of man's judgment is not his guilt, it's his redemption. And it is just as Paul said in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why we talk about the absolute necessity and exclusiveness of Christ. It is why we are so adamant about verses like John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So while we, we do, we lament sin, but we also acknowledge and exalt the only Savior from that sin is the man Christ Jesus. Praise God. Somebody say, I'm thankful I know him. Uh, put y'all to sleep. <sighs> listen, listen. All sinners deserve to stand before God and be cast into eternity in that fiery place. But for every sinner, there's one Savior. I said for every sinner, there is a Savior. Somebody shout his name. Yes, hallelujah. <clears throat> he was the only sinless man who ever lived. And God proved that by rising, or excuse me, raising him from the dead. And this man's death served one purpose, and that purpose was to justify all of us who put our faith in him. Praise God. His death was to bring salvation to sinners and to provide a means for us to escape this place of torment called the lake of fire. How many know the judgment's real? How many know judgment's coming? How many know judgment is deserved? But there is salvation. I said, but there is salvation from the judgment, and that is through Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Passages like that should help us be reminded of how important Christ really is to us. Paul said in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I'm getting in. I'm going to stay in Jesus. 
He said, for those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death says you're going to go to hell. But Christ made us free from that law. He broke us. We had a chain tied around us, dragging us to hell. But thank God Christ intercepted that and broke the chain. And Mm, hallelujah for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit I'm a new man I'm under new management I'm headed to heaven instead of hell and this forgiveness is for all those who repent of their sin, let go of their idols, cling wholeheartedly to Christ and saying, I'm going to heaven clinging on to Christ. Those who do that need not fear the great white throne judgment because Christ already bore the wrath. We don't want to stand trial at this scene, folks. You don't want to be at this scene because once you're found lacking at the great white throne, and all of them that shows up there will be, they will be sent into the lake. The lake of fire, John sees, is their final assignment. Despite all the popular chatter, how I many know oh, there's not going to be any keg parties, no beer buddies in the lake of fire? Only brimstone, fire, and a scorching regret. Verse 14 says, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And he says, this is the second death. Physical death is the first death. But this lake of eternal damnation is the second death. You remember the old saying that says, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. Come to Christ, be born again. And you won't have to face the second death. Yes, you, unless the rapture happens, we will face the first death, which is physical death. But how many know if you're a believer, the first death does not need to be feared? Praise God. When you close your eyes on this side, you'll open them on the other side. Right? The second death, though, is the lake of fire. That's the one these folks better fear. I'm closing. I'm closing. Sister Jones, you can come. <clears throat> Chapter 20 closes by saying, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So here's the most important question you'll ever be asked. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you leaning on Christ? Or are you trying to stand on your own merits? Listen, how many know you can settle out of court? You can settle out of court with the one who paid our penalty. And he can set us eternally free. Thank you, Lord. Anybody remember that old song Methodist pastor Frank Graham wrote? The old account was settled long ago. Anybody remember that? Raise your hand if you remember that. Oh, yeah, there's a few of us old timers. He says, there was a time on earth when in the book of heaven, an old account was standing for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top 
and many names below. But I went unto the keeper and settled it long ago. Long ago, down on my knees, long ago, I settled it all. Yes, the old account was settled long ago. The record is clear today. For he washed my sins away when the old account was settled long ago. Next verse says, The old account was large and growing every day, for I was always sinning and never tried to pay. But when I looked ahead and saw such pain and woe, I said that I would settle, and I settled it long ago. The next verse says, When in that happy home, my Savior's home above, I'll sing redemption's story and praise Him for His love. I'll not forget that book with pages white as snow because I came and settled and settled it long ago. Final verse, O sinner, seek the Lord, repent of all your sin, for thus He hath provided that you could enter in. And then if you should live a hundred years below, up there you'll not regret it because you settled it long ago. Let's stand together. That hymn has an important message for all believers. It presents to us what happens when a sinner accepts Christ as his Savior. All our sins are transferred into the account of Christ because he bore them. When we repent and accept Christ as our personal Savior, Oh, hallelujah. He paid the debt on the cross. And we now can accept His offer of pardon. But as He takes our sins, Paul said in Corinthians, He takes our sins, but we get His righteousness. Oh, hallelujah. Undeserving. That's the grace of God, church. I said, he takes my sin and I take his righteousness. Paul said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, Father, thank you for that righteousness. Why don't you just give him praise for it, would you? Thank you, Lord. Not not our own righteousness. Mm, Hallelujah. Oh, but it's what you did for us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Spared us from this great white throne judgment. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you, church. Altars are open. Spend some time in His presence.